Well, before we get started, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time to come together again today and just study your word together. Lord, thank you for this study on, on heaven that we've been going through. And Lord, just pray that tonight as we look at eternal rewards, Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged and that we would be motivated, Lord, leave here motivated to live a life that is, is, that is for you, but that will receive great reward when we get into heaven. Lord, help us to lay up, not, lay, not up treasures on earth, but Lord, let us lay up treasures in heaven. Now, these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, tonight we are continuing our study on the hereafter, and this is the final section on heaven. And we're, of course, in the midst of eternal heaven, looking at eternal heaven, what eternity will be like. We've looked at uh, you know, what, what eternity will kind of look like. It's heaven here on earth. And last week we looked at how life will be, kind of. We kind of imagined a little bit about how life will be in eternity. Well, tonight, as we wrap up the heaven portion of our study, uh, I want to look at eternal rewards, because that's a big question. What are, what are these rewards? We hear uh, things in Scripture about eternal rewards. Well, what, what does that look like? What are those going to be? And so I want to, tonight to look at those eternal rewards. Now, we're coming up here on, I think this is the year, right, for Summer Olympics. And we all like to, I like to watch the Olympics and, and watch that. Now, for us as viewers, uh, we like the competition, don't we? Uh, but if you're an athlete, you're looking for the awards ceremony. You want to stand up there on that podium and you want to hear your country's uh, anthem played. You want to see your country's flag raised. You're looking for that award, that reward for good performance in your event. Well, we all will be a part of an even grander ceremony than the Olympics. When we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and He rewards us for our service to Him while we're here on earth. And so Scripture tells us uh, to lay up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. We're to live for that day when Christ will return and He will hand out those eternal rewards. So tonight, I implore you, as we study this lesson, to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I hope this motivates you uh, to get busy, to, to not waste your life on the piddly things of this world, but to invest in eternity and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Tonight we consider three features of eternal rewards. Three features of eternal rewards. Now I do want to give credit where credit is due here. Uh, now in this book, this is a book by uh, W.A. Criswell and Paige Patterson on heaven. And Dr. Patterson has a great chapter in here on rewards, eternal rewards. And I'm going to follow his outline. It's going to be my material, but I'm following his outline as we go through this tonight. But uh, if you're looking for some extra reading on heaven, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good book. So, all right. So let's look at three features of eternal rewards. First of all, we want to see the evidence of eternal rewards. The evidence of eternal rewards. What does the, the Bible say about rewards? Is this a, a thing? Right? Is this something that we can look forward to? Well... First of all, I want to appeal to Scripture, appeal to Scripture, and this is, uh, I want to read our verse tonight. Uh, tonight, I'm, this is kind of where we're starting anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, y'all are all familiar with this verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus, he tells us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't, don't worry about accumulating great wealth on earth and, and laying up the material 
treasures of this world, because right? you, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, have you? Right? That's just something we don't. We don't get to take the things of this world with us. But the investments that we make in eternity, they're there waiting on us. And so Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures here. Lay up for your treasures, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven, in eternity. And so Jesus appeals to this idea of eternal rewards as he tells us how to live here on earth as his disciples. Matthew 10, verse 41 and 42, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, Jesus says. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, one of my disciples, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So again, Jesus appeals to this idea of eternal rewards, rewards waiting for us in heaven because of the ministry that we do here on earth, the things that we do for the kingdom here on earth. So we see this over and over again in Scripture, and we're going to see some more of that as we continue through our study tonight. But there's just a few, just a couple of, of instances where Jesus himself says that we're to lay up treasures in heaven. We're to work on rewards in heaven, eternal rewards. We're to live for those and not for the rewards of this world. So the appeal of Scripture, then we see the judgment seat of Christ. We see the evidence of, of eternal rewards in the judgment seat of Christ. Now, uh, this comes from... <clears throat> This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. There Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, that term there, judgment seat of Christ, uh, is the Bema seat. Maybe you've heard it referred to that in past. Uh, the word there is... is transliterated bema, uh, the bema. And so uh, what is the bema? Well, first of all, I want you to note that it is to the we here. For we, right? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church at Corinth. So he's talking to us as a church as well. We, all of us who are Christians. So he is not here talking about the great white throne judgment. We're all living creatures, all living human beings will one day have to stand before the, the great white throne judgment. And that's when he will separate the, the sheep from the goats, right? He will separate those who are in Christ from those who are outside of Christ and those who are in Christ. He says, come in to my rest. And those outside of Christ, those who remain in rebellion against Christ, he'll say, the lake of fire. Enter into the lake of fire where there will be uh, eternal judgment. And so that's the great white throne judgment. But then there's the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. And the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ is for we, the church, all of those who are in Christ. And so Paul says here in 2 Corinthians that we will all appear before that judgment seat. Now, the Bema, the Bema seat was a raised platform in first century uh, kind of Roman in the, in the Roman Empire there, the Bema seat was a raised platform where a ruler would conduct military or civic review. So you think about, uh, I, I just think about my Marine Corps graduation, and, and we marched out onto the field, and we had the stands up there, and of course all the, uh, my family, all of our families were up there, but there was also the commanding general. And we were going before the commanding general for review. He was reviewing us. He was seeing us strut our stuff across that parade deck. And so that was kind of the same idea with the Bema seat. It was a place where a ruler, whether it be Caesar or a local ruler like Pilate, he would sit on the Bema seat and he would give review, whether it be for a military uh, military, an army or something, or for you know, other civilians. Paige Patterson explains, an army returning from a successful field campaign would parade down the thoroughfare, down the main street there, 
halting at the Bema to receive special recognition of valor in conflict. At the conclusion of the famous Isthmian Games, awards for successful competition were sometimes distributed at the Bema. And so this was the place you think about the Olympics where you stand up on the, the podium there. Well, that's kind of their podium. It was at the Bema seat, and that ruler would hand out the rewards for a, a faithful campaign, a campaign, a successful campaign to the military or successful uh, competition <laughs> in those games. And so Paul is using that kind of that metaphor, that imagery, to show us what we will face. We will stand before Christ, and he will give a review. He will look at our service in this life. He will look at uh, what we have done for Him. And so we will go before Christ to give an account, not for our sin. Our sin is taken care of in Christ. It is washed and, and gone away with. We are made righteous in Christ. But what will be in review is the work that we do here on earth for Christ. And so Paul talks about that, and we just covered that a few weeks back in our study in 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you've got to be grounded in Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with, look at these non-perishable items here, gold, silver, precious stones, and then the perishable items, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will be manifest for the day, that is the day of the Lord, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so you, you think about your works. If your works are the works that you do that are, are gold, silver, and precious stone, those imperishable works, those treasures that you're laying up in heaven, right? You're, you're doing work for Christ. They're good works, and, and, and you're going to be rewarded for them. They're going to be laid up there. And then he's also going to bring up your not-so-good works, the things that you've done for your own vain reasons. And he's going to bring all of those out, and, and they'll be tested like as through fire. You think about the consuming fire of God. He's going to come out and test those works. And, and all of those works that were done in sin, they're going to be wiped away. All of the wood, hay, straw, that's going to be burned up. And then what's left is going to be the pure works, right? The works that you did for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, all of us, if we're honest, all of our works, they're, they're kind of, you know, interwoven. There's some, some good stuff in it and there's a little bad sin in it because we're sinful by nature. So that fire is going to come out and it's going to purify those good works. It's going to burn up every vain uh, reason for doing those work. It's going to burn up every sinful thought and, and every re uh, sinful reason for doing those works. And what's going to be left are the precious gold uh, that was done for the, the glory of Jesus Christ. So all of our works will be tested before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, this is not for our salvation. Our salvation is secure in Jesus. But what will it be like for those who have come to faith in Christ and spent their whole life doing stuff for themselves not investing in the kingdom. And Paul says their works will be burned away. They'll have nothing left, nothing but the foundation. They will be saved, yet as through fire. Uh, you know, it's not till after the judgment seat of Christ that the tears are wiped away. I think at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a lot of Christians who are weeping weeping because they realize they've wasted their lives away and they haven't invested in glory. They haven't lived for Jesus like they should have lived. Uh, let that not be said of us. Let us live for Christ. Let us lay up 
treasures in heaven. So the evidence in Scripture is that we as Christians will one day stand before Christ and give an account, not for our sins, but for what we have done in this life for His glory, for the glory of Christ, and will be rewarded accordingly. So there is the evidence of eternal rewards. Second, there is the nature of eternal rewards. The nature of eternal rewards. And this is where it really gets good. The nature of eternal rewards. First of all, there are, seems to be, rewards of responsibility. Rewards of responsibility. Uh, that is given responsibility. Uh, in heaven, uh, we, it says that we are fellow heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be fellow heirs with Christ? It is to be vice regents with Christ, right? Christ is the king. He is the eternal king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But uh, it also says that we are vice regents. We are co-heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if, and if children, talking about us, if we're children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ or co-heirs with Christ, according to your translation, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we are co-heirs with Christ, Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. So if we endure, if we live our life for Christ in this life, even though persecution may come, even though trials may come to try to pull us away from Christ, if we endure in the faith, Paul says we will reign with Christ. We will reign and rule with him. He's the king, and we're vice regents, right? We're, we're underlings. We're, we're co-kings with him, following his rule. As Scripture indicates that we will rule over cities and nations. Cities and nations. I want to bring this out. This is Luke, uh, Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles and like to turn over there quickly. Luke chapter 19. Verses 11 through 25, Luke 19. This one's not in your little handout there, so you might want to even write that down. Uh, it was, it's too, bit, too much to fit on the page there. Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. This is the, the parable of the ten minas. And this is Jesus. He's given this parable, but he's relating it to heaven. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to uh, receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling ten of his servants he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a, de uh, a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you, were, because you are a severe man. Uh, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you do, did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. 
You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by him, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. <laughs> and so Jesus is giving this parable, but he's using this as an illustration of what his kingdom is to how his kingdom is to come. I mean, you see some of the, the same kind of uh, parallels with Jesus. His people didn't want him. They didn't want him to rule and reign over him. The Jewish people of his day denied him and had him crucified. And because of their unbelief, they will be cast out. They will be slaughtered before Christ and thrown in eternal hell. But he says, he gives this illustration of these who he gave, he gave these different mina, this money to. And he says because of the one, he, made, he, he invested the money, right? And he, he used it properly. He was a good steward of the gift that the king had given him. And because of his faithful stewardship, the king made him ruler over ten cities. And the same with the other one. He, he was faithful with the mina that the, the king gave him and made five mina more, right? And so he gave him ruler, made him ruler over five cities. And so this kind of gives us the idea that when Christ returns, we already talked about that there will be a civilization there, right? There's all these believers here on earth, on, on this heavenly earth. And so there's going to be civilizations, there's going to be cities, there's going to be uh, different nations. And so Jesus is going to take those who were faithful to serve him, and he's going to reward them with responsibility of ruling over cities and nations and peoples in his eternal kingdom. And we see this in Scripture. So uh, here's another one, Revelation chapter 2, verses, verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my words, Jesus says, until the end to him I will give authority over the nations. And so we see again this idea in the eternity there will be cities and nations and those who are faithful to use their gifts according to the way God intended them to be used, use their gifts for God's glory and the, the, um, the proclamation of His gospel and the advancement of His kingdom. Those who are faithful stewards of, of their God-given gifts will be given authority, whether over cities or nations or countries, so there's this idea of being ruler over nations. There's also this idea of being ruler over angels, ruling over angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses uh, 2 through 3, Paul says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge, uh, will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you uh, incompetent to try tr trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? And so we'll see the rest of that argument on Sunday morning here in the, the next few weeks. But Paul brings out this idea that, that we as, as the church, the people of God, one day we'll be judging angels. We'll be ruling over angels. Right? We'll have uh, authority over angels. That's what he's meaning there by judging angels. It's not so much of like you, we got this idea of, of sitting in a court and having on a gown and, you know, guilty. Right? Not, that's not the idea because there's no sinful angels in eternity. But, but it's this idea of ruling over angels, having authority over angels, dominion over angels. So we'll rule over angels. There's also the idea of ruling over creation. We've already said that eternity seems to be, when we get all the imagery together and we, we get to thinking about what eternity is going to be like, it, it seems to be that God is, is redeeming the old creation. 
All of creation is groaning, wanting to get back to that, that perfect, uh, that idea of perfection that God had in the big beginning when he said everything was very good. And we're going back there. God's bringing us back to very good, to perfect creation. And so in that, we see the same idea or we can we can kind of draw the same idea that if we're going back there. Some of the same things that God put in place in that perfect creation will be true in the new, <coughs> excuse me, the new creation. So going back to Genesis chapter one, verse 28 in the first creation, when everything was very good, God put Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and said, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So we know we're not going to be fruitful and multiply because the full population will be made at that point. There will be no more marrying and giving, be giving in marriage in eternity. So that part will go away. The full population will all be there. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so can you think about that? Having dominion over the earth. Adam and Eve, they ruled the animals. They ruled over the animals. They had dominion over the animals. They cared for the animals. They, they guided the animals. They, they did all of that for the animals. And so uh, some of us will have the responsibility of taking care of animals. Uh, some of us, that sounds really good. I like animals, and, and that sounds great. Oh, man, all right. You can rule over animals. If you're a dog lover or a cat lover, hey, you, you, that might be your job, right? Taking care of the dogs, taking care of the cats, taking care of the things of this world. And so that's, that's the way it's going to be. So, so there will be those who rule over cities and nations, those who rule over angels, and those who rule over creation will all have dominion over creation as God originally had intended. So... We will be rewarded responsibilities uh, to be vice heirs or vice regents with Christ. Christ is king. He's a number one. He's top dog on the chain, right? Uh, but we will serve under him. We will be co-shepherds over creation. Now, we will have be rewarded responsibilities, of course, according to our faithfulness now. Notice, remember, back on the 10 minus, back there in uh, Luke 19, 11 through 27, they were rewarded because they were faithful with the gift that the king had given them. And so it is with us. If we're faithful with the gifts that God has given us, then we will be rewarded for that faithfulness. Luke chapter 14, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So talking about leadership, how we lead in, in this world and in this lifetime. If we exalt ourselves, if we're always worried about exalting ourselves and getting our praise now, right? If you, you pray to be heard by others, that's your main goal, then you have received your reward. But if you go and you lock yourself in your closet and you pray to God in your closet where only God can hear you, then your reward is in heaven. And so we see that in Scripture over and over and over again when we humble ourselves. We're not doing all that we're doing. We're not using our gifts to be flashy. We're not trying to, to build a following. We're not trying to do all that. But we're exalting Christ, humbling ourselves, exalting Christ. That will be rewarded. But when we try to exalt ourselves... And get that pat on the back. That's all that we're working for. We just want a pat on the back. Then you'll be hum humbled. That gift will not be rewarded. That service will not be rewarded. And, and when we look at all this, when we think about the rewards of responsibilities, we may have this idea, well, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a preacher, right? So preacher, he's kind of got... He's kind of got the responsibility of leading a flock and, and uh, guiding a flock. And so, okay, is a preacher going to be, uh, you know, ruler over a city? You know, uh, what about the, the small town preacher? Uh, then what about the, 
the you know, mid-sized church preacher, is he going to have a bigger city? And the mega church preacher, is he going to have this really big city because he was so faithful to, to manage such a large church? No, 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 no. It's not on the, the size of the ministry that you have on the earth. It's based on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to steward the gift that God has given you. If God has given you the gift of prayer, and by the way, the gift of prayer is one of the most important gifts because prayer is one of the most important, right? When we have a problem, uh, it tends to be the last place to, we go, but it should be at the first place we go because it, it's so powerful. Uh, but if you have the gift of prayer, the gift of faith, one of the gifts that's maybe not well visible, not so much visible by the rest of the church, but if you're faithful in that, you will be rewarded for that. It's all about how faithful you are to steward whatever gift that God has given you. So be faithful stewards and you will be rewarded responsibility in heaven. And it won't be a pressure thing. It won't be, oh my goodness, I got all this to do. No, God will empower you to take that responsibility and manage it as it needs to be managed. So there are the rewards of responsibility. And then there's the rewards of adornment. The rewards of adornment. And, of course, here's where we get to the crowns, right? We've all read about the crowns in Scripture. What are these crowns? And there's actually five crowns in Scripture. And, boy, when I started reading this, I started getting really excited. I want a crown, right? Uh, we got these five crowns. What are these five crowns? Well, first is the crown of victory. The crown of victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or a crown but we an imperishable one. So talking about those Olympic runners, right? They're running to a race to receive a perishable prize, but we are running to win an imperishable prize. Now Paul is using this analogy between uh, Christian service and that sort of thing, these, these games, these great games that were so popular throughout the, the Grecian culture. And for them, they would have a wreath. Uh, the, the Greek word there is Stephanos. Maybe you've heard that word mentioned before, Stephanos. Stephanos was a, a wreath made of either foliage or designed to resemble foliage. And it was worn by one of high status and held in high regard. So for the games, of course, they made it foliage. They, they took some limbs together and they fold them together to look like a nice little reef and they would they would award that perishable wreath uh, for rulers and you've seen some of the busts of different Caesars throughout the ages and they're wearing that kind of a, of a crown uh, that was a crown that they wore because it was that was indicating it was made of gold it wasn't it wasn't leaves it was gold made to look like foliage and they use that as a demonstration of their high status. But Paul is saying, now the athletes, they, they run for this imperishable crown, but you, you're running for an imperishable crown. You're running for the crown of victory, right? The crown of victory, the crown that, that means you have suffered, right? You have used discipline in your life. This is for those who have worked hard in their life to crucify the flesh and to live for Jesus Christ. They put themselves up on the cross. They die to self. It's for those who suffer the flesh to live a pure and holy life. And we all understand that struggle, don't we? We all understand that struggle. There's certain sins in our life that keep rearing their head and we got to crucify the flesh, crucify the flesh, crucify the flesh, crushing down those fleshly desires to, to sin. 
And for those who persevere in that struggle, who fight through that struggle, they will receive the victor's <laughs> crown, the victor's crown for their struggle, for their suffering of the flesh, so that they may live a holy life in Christ Jesus. So it's the victor's crown, the crown of mastery, of mastering the flesh to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing, the crown of rejoicing. First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now, this is what's called the evangelism crown. We might think of it as the evangelism crown. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about uh, these people at uh, Thessalonica, these Thessalonians, who were lost. They were pagans. They were off on, a, on, they were on the road to hell. But Paul came through, he and Silas and Timothy, and they proclaimed the gospel to them. And they were transformed. They were changed. They became believers. And they, they entered into the kingdom of God. And Paul says, you're our crown of rejoicing. You're our crown of rejoicing. Uh, because you are converted, because you came to know Christ, you are our crown of rejoicing. Now, does that take away that there might be an actual crown, a real crown of rejoicing in heaven? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's a reason he uses that term, crown of rejoicing. They're evidence of that crown, right? They're evidence that that crown is coming. So there's this crown of rejoicing. Uh, but even if it is, I mean, if this is just imagery, uh, what a wonderful gift that will be when we get to heaven and begin to walk down the streets and, and someone comes up and says, you know, I was lost, but you took time to share the gospel with me. And I'm here today because of your faithfulness. Oh, that's going to be a crown of rejoicing right there when we're walking down the streets and we're rejoicing in heaven over the soul that was saved because we were faithful to share the gospel as God has called us to share the gospel. I mean, that's, that, that's better than a real crown. So even if this is not a real crown, who cares? Because that's even better. A crown of rejoicing, the evangelism crown. And I think Robert Sanders, he'll have a wheelbarrow full of the crown of, of rejoicing because he is a soul winner if I've ever seen one. So the crown of rejoicing. Third is the crown of righteousness, the crown of righteousness. Second Timothy chapter four, verse eight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge will will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. They loved his appearing. So the crown of righteousness is the crown of the love of, uh, of Christ, uh, of, of anticipating his coming, anticipating his return. It's rewarded to those who long for the day, right? Who's with, like with Paul, right? Paul says uh, to be a, uh, apart from the body is to be with Christ and, and, you know, to be here. That's good service for Christ, to live as Christ, but hey, to die is gain. I'd rather be, die and be with the Lord. It's with John saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's do this thing now. Let's get it over with now. I want to come be with you. It, it's those who long for the return of the Lord. Now we say, well, shouldn't we all long for the day that Christ will return? Well, of course we should. Is it possible for Christians not to long for the day of the Lord's return? Yes, it is. There's a lot of Christians who are kind of uh, a little hesitant saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because they don't that there's that fear of the unexpected, that fear of the unknown that's still out there. And they know this world. They're enjoying this world. They like to hold on to this world. And they're like, yeah, Lord, come, but not just yet. Not just yet. I I'm not done yet. I'm still enjoying my grandkids. I'm still enjoying uh, the things of this world, Lord. So come, but not yet. Give me a little more time. 
But this is the crown of, 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 of righteousness is for those who, Lord, come now. I don't care about the rest of the things of this world. I want you to come now. I want to be with you. I want to be in your kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready to go. Boy, if that's in your heart, if that's in your heart, then you have gained the crown of righteousness. And I think we've got to work at that one. We do have to work at that one because our fleshly desire likes to hold on to the things of this world. We do. We like to hold on to the things of this world. Lord, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see my grandkids grow up. I want to see all of these things. I'm not finished yet. And we continue to cling to the things of this world. And we're unable to say, oh, Lord, I just I love you more than anything else. I don't care. Come now. Just get it all over with now. I want to be with you. For those who long for the day of Christ's return, they will gain the crown of righteousness. So we have the crown of victory, the crown of rejoicing, and the crown of righteousness. Fourth is the crown of life. The crown of life. Blessed is the man, uh, excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, talking to the church there, it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. This, this church was about to suffer some things. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life, the crown of life, the crown of trials, of facing persecution, of facing the trials of this life, the, the, all the persecution that comes with being a Christian, facing those trials, and even going unto death, proclaiming Jesus Christ. All the martyrs of Christ, they receive the crown of life. There's a great reward for them because they were faithful even unto death. Not all of us will have an opportunity to earn that one, uh, as, as, at least as some of those do. Uh, there's some people who they'll go and they're going to get their head cut off by Muslims because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. They got the crown of life. They're going to gain that crown. For us in America, we have it pretty easy. Uh, but... You know, even when we face the trials and the persecutions of this world, and I, I believe, I firmly believe, they're fixing to get more and more for us. They're going to grow more and more for us here in America. It's fixing to get real for Christians in America. And we're going to see who the real Christians are because there's going to be persecutions that come. And we're going to see how many people fall away from Christ when it's time to give your life for Christ. But for those who stand against persecution and continue to pro proclaim the name of Jesus Christ even through persecution, they will receive the crown of life. So the crown of victory, the re crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness and the crown of life, the fifth and final crown, the crown of glory, the crown of glory. And this is where I'm getting really excited. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, that, are, that is the pastors among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the shepherd's crown, the crown of glory. For those who God called to, to minister, to be pastors, to serve the church, to guide the church, 
those who are faithful in their service, faithfully proclaiming the word of God, faithfully guiding the church, not for shameful gain, right? Not to, to build up their own ego, not for building up themselves, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. For those faithful shepherds, they will be, they will be rewarded the crown of glory. And, and I'm fixing to make this my life verse. Right, I'm fixing to make this my life first, and I'm fixing to memorize this because I want that crown. I want that crown when I get to glory. I want to be rewarded the crown of glory as a faithful shepherd of God's people. Uh, what a wonderful day that will be. So uh, the shepherd's crown, the crown of glory. So scripture indicates that we will be rewarded with responsibilities and adornments according to our faithfulness of service in this life. Therefore, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, there's one more uh, that we're going to cover here, but I do want to pause here uh, and, and allow a moment here for questions or comments about these rewards, rewards of responsibility and rewards of adornment. We're getting there. Oh, okay. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> how, how do we distinguish between scripture's description of eternal heaven and the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth prior to that. There it says we will reign with Christ and there will be thrones set up and that's called, that's when all of the believers are raised to life. Mm -hmm. so I've always been under the impression that believers will not appear before the white Well, yeah. Uh, and you, you got the passage in, back in Matthew where Jesus says the great white throne judgment will be a, a, a separation of the goats from the sheep. And so there it appears that we will be there, not to be judged. Uh, we'll be judged through Christ. So you're in Christ. Enter my rest. No sins coming up on the screen there. You're, it's just Christ's righteousness. That's it. And, and you're good. And then... The main judgment will be on those who are outside of Christ. Uh, the revelation, it kind of, you kind of read it and you say, well, are believers there? I think we will see it. Uh, we will be witness to it because we will witness the glory of God in judgment. Uh, and, and we will give glory to God because uh, there is glory to be given to God for his righteous judgment. And so I think we'll, we'll see it, we'll observe it, uh, and we're going to praise God for His complete righteousness in judging the lost. So I don't, will we, how will it actually look? I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. But I don't think Scripture, like I say, Scripture gives, you get the one kind of picture imagery in, in Matthew and a little slightly different in, in Revelation. But, so... But I don't think we're, we are not going to appear in the sense that, you know, our sin's not going up on the screen. That's all the unbelievers. They'll be, those who are names not written in the Lamb Book of Life, they're going to be judged according to what they did. What, uh, every act of, and we'll get to that when we talk about judgment, but uh, every act of sin, every act of rebellion that they committed in life will be reviewed and they will be judged accordingly. God will just take the group of the church, the whole church, and say, oh, your righteousness in Jesus Christ, come into my rest. And that'll be the end of that. And that's the separation of the sheep. That's the separation of the sheep. So, yeah. Other questions? Comments? Y'all are just looking at the watch, aren't you? <laughs> I'm kind of on the crown of life. Um, it's only those that are being persecuted 
I mean, like, um, what about those that are suffering in long-term sickness, illness, that's not even in this. This is martyring, right? Correct. Uh, both of those passages, those are the two main passages that talk about the crown of life, and they, they all uh, correspond to persecution. So when you are persecuted for the name of Christ, that's when you receive the crown of life. So. Not all Christians, you know, if, we're, if it's an actual crown, not all Christians will, will get the crown of life in that sense because not all will be persecuted uh, like some will be. So. Other thoughts or questions? Well, all of us won't get off either. Right, right, right. Yeah, not all, not everybody's going to get all of them. They're not for everybody. But, no. That's right. That's right. Well, I think we will keep them, but we're going to use them for a particular purpose. All right. So we've seen evidence of eternal rewards and the nature of eternal rewards. Finally, there is the purpose of eternal rewards. There is the purpose of eternal rewards. First of all, uh, the purpose of the eternal rewards is first and foremost to display God's, God's grace. It's to display God's grace. Think about James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no vari variation or shadow due to change. Uh, all the rewards that we receive in heaven are a gift from God. They're an absolute gift from God. Yeah, we worked and we, we, we worked and we did and we, we earned them in a sense, but really in, a, in another sense, uh, do you earn something when you're just doing your duty? Do you earn something when you're just doing your duty? I mean, this weekend, yesterday, we were out working in the yard and I did a lot of work out in the yard. I got, when I got, yeah, Mary Beth, the, she, she, just don't listen to her. I did a lot of work out in the yard, and it was hard work, right? When I got through last night, I was hurt, and I was tired. Uh, did I get paid for that? No, it was my yard. It was my duty to, to take care of my yard and, and to do the work in my yard. Nobody's going to pay me for that. That was my duty. Well, when Christ calls us to service, it's our duty to serve him. We aren't earning, we shouldn't earn a reward for doing our duty for serving Christ as our king. But yet the grace of God is that he takes our duty and he rewards us. He lavishes gifts on top of us for our faithful service. Even though we don't really deserve it, we're just doing our duty. We're serving the king of creation. That's our duty. But yet still, God in His grace lavishes His grace upon grace upon grace to us in rewarding us with eternal rewards. Second, the second purpose of eternal rewards is to worship God. To worship God. I love this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 through 11 this is the worship scene of heaven, the first worship scene of heaven that John is viewing. And the angels are flying around the throne of God and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then look at what the 24 elders do in Revelation 4.10. The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you uh, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created our crowns our rewards they're meant to give glory and honor to God we will take those crowns every time that we go into the worship service and we're going to take them off and we're going to say you are worthy Lord 
I'm not worthy. You are worthy of all things. You are worthy of all glory. And we're going to use those, those crowns, those rewards to honor and glorify God for all of eternity. They are, they are emblems of worship to worship a glorious God. Paige Patterson notes this, that the 24 elders recognize that even our rewards are actually little credit to us. They are rather additional evidence of the abounding grace of God towards sinners. He has saved us and then rewarded us abundantly. We can only serve Christ because God saved us. We can only uh, do good works because God is working in us to to will and to desire, to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's all God. He's doing the work. We're just kind of going along with it. Yes, Lord, use me. Do your work in me. Use me. Change me. Yes, Lord, yes. God's doing all the work. And so when we get rewarded, uh, all those crowns and all that responsibility, we're going to give God the glory for it. Because we didn't do it. He did it all. He just lavishly poured out His grace upon us, rewarding us for doing what He called us to do. So our eternal rewards are all to the glory of God. Matthew 6, 19-20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me just ask you this question in closing tonight. How full is your heavenly treasury? How full is your heavenly treasury? How much have you invested in eternity? Uh, some of us, if we are actually, if we really examine our lives, uh, maybe we've done some good stuff, but we know that we probably are lacking. We could do a whole lot more. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here are the, the treasures laid out for us, right? Let's work for them. There's a reason Scripture reveals these to us, so that we can actually work for them. Oh, there's the goal. There's the prize. Let's work for it. Paul says, I have run the race. I've finished the race. And now I'm ready to receive the prize. He worked for the prize. So let us work for the prize. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Amen? Amen. Any final thoughts or questions? We're still finishing up pretty good. No watches in heaven. No watches in heaven. Nope. Won't be any watch. Don't need to watch. Watch the watch in heaven. That's right. No time change. Amen. Amen. It'd be fine if they just do away with that here on earth. All right, well, next week is our business meeting. And then the week after that, we'll get into hell, right? So <laughs> well, I did. I, I, I said that, you know, and uh, next week is business meeting. And then they said, oh, same thing. <laughs> I don't know. So, all right, well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we just praise you for your grace. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. You're just showing us, even now, Lord, what you have in store for us. And though, Lord, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're just doing what you've called us to do, what you've given us to do. We're doing our duty as we serve you. But, Lord, even in that, you are so gracious to equip us, to empower us, to, to change our, our flesh and our will, Lord, to do the work. You, you do all of that in us. And just out of doing our duty, Lord, you are 
You, you say you're going to lavish your, your grace upon us, reward us for doing our duty. Oh, Lord, thank you. You are a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God. And salvation should be enough. But, Lord, you give us an abundance. So thank you, Lord, for the rewards you have for us in glory. And, Lord, I just pray that we would, would seek that crown, Lord, that, that wonderful crown of longing for the day that you would return. Lord, put that in our hearts, that we would no longer hold on to the things of this world. But, Lord, we would desire the day of your return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, help us to prepare for that day by pursuing the crown of rejoicing, taking the gospel to our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors, even our enemies, so that they may enter into your kingdom. Oh Lord, go with us this week. Help us to be faithful stewards of the gift that you have given us and help us to be faithful stewards of the gospel message. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.